disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected woman, a person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Hey sis, welcome back to Black Girl SOS. So first of all, let me just apologize in advance. I am super congested, which means I'm going to sound even more nasally than I normally sound. I'm sorry. Here we are though. <laughs> um, so like I said on part one of my Ghana recap, I wanted to do a second part for more of the the deeper moments that I had in Ghana, more of the just deeper experiences that I, I was fortunate enough to have in Ghana. So my mom and I went to the mausoleum and museum of Dr. Kwame, uh, Dr. Kwame Kuma. And before anyone tries to check me, the end is silent, confirmed in Ghana. Check yourself. Moving on. Um, it was really an overwhelming experience, um, for many different reasons. One, the mausoleum, uh, the statue of him, excuse me, is, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking and it is facing a walkway that is lined on either sides of it with fountains so it is that really serene sound of water um which is a, a peace it's a place of peace for me um like the ocean and just hearing water that's a that's a sound that instantly takes me to a place of peace um so it was really powerful in that i just i was able to just meditate in that space and just absorb where i was um, and, and all that, all that it meant to be on the continent with my mother at this monument that, you know, honored a man that helped free this country. As I was moving from taking my pictures, um, there was a man there with three children who I assume were his family, um, two girls and a little boy uh, no one looked like they were over 10 and as I was getting out of the way the gentleman said that the oldest of the girls wanted to take a picture with me now in truth I have absolutely no goddamn idea why this little girl wanted to take a picture with me but I was flattered and I was like oh sure of course and as I went to stand next to her the other two ran over to get in the picture also so my mom took um photograph and the guy who I presume was their father or guardian we'll just call him their guardian took a picture and you know, he just gave me a hug and it was completely random like I have no idea what inspired them to want to and, you know, memorialize running into little old me, but it just, it resonated with the little girl that I used to be because it, it just reminded me of like growing up and how I looked up to, you know, the older women 
that were not just in my life on a regular basis, but just like older women that I would see sometimes in passing. Because everything wasn't, everything isn't deep all the fucking time, you know, and everything definitely isn't deep when you're a kid. You know, there were people, there were women I looked up to when I was a child that I, you know, I thought they were great moms and, you know, that's something I would want to mimic as a parent. Or I thought they were, you know, I was really impressed with them as a, as a, you know, professional. And that's something I would want to mirror when I become a professional. But there were others who I just liked the, the feeling I got being around them. Like, I just liked the energy they brought into a space. And I wanted to mimic that. So, you know, everything wasn't deep as shit, you know. And so I guess it was the same for them, you know. Nothing deep. We didn't exchange a lot of words. Just a, a hello, a hug, a sure and for whatever reason, you know, they were cheerful, gleeful, and just happy to share a moment with me. And that made me really happy. And, and it reminded me that you just never know who's watching for whatever reason. You know, everybody's not watching me because they want to be a lawyer or they want to be a runner or they want to have a podcast or, you know, just shit like that. Sometimes people just really, they dig your energy. Your energy resonates with their energy and it creates a space that they feel good in. And every, who doesn't like to feel good? You know what I'm saying? And and you just really don't know who's watching you. So that was just like this really, like probably insignificant moment for for maybe them but it was a really powerful moment for me and and also to see my mom's reaction to see young people acting to me was also really really moving you know it i i live to make my mother proud like i i do unapologetically i you know we all know we all know that um i speak heavily about doing what you need to do for you, making sure that you are making yourself holistically happy and holistically well. Part of that for me is, you know, making sure that I make my mother proud and I make my grandmother proud that I conduct myself in a way that resonates with my upbringing. That's, that's a, that's a thing for me. Um, that's not a thing for everybody. And you know, don't make it your thing if it ain't your thing. But that's a thing for me. And to see my mom, um, to see her reaction to their reaction to me also really, really just, it warmed my heart. So it was just like literally probably not even a whole 60 seconds that filled me up in just the most unsuspecting way. Um, so then we, we went into the mausoleum and there was a group in there that was getting a tour and I was kind of in and out, so I didn't get a lot of what the tour guide was giving them. But I know that he was discussing um, his wife, Faith. So I'm sure, you know, if if you go try to get a tour, because I'm sure that there was really a lot of good information that was given out that I did not have the opportunity to get. Um, cause I wasn't on the tour and I kind of was just roaming about taking it in, in the way I wanted to take it in. 
and right behind the mausoleum portion is where the museum is down the stairs and you're not allowed to take any pictures in the museum um which my mom was bummed about but I really wasn't surprised about and not for nothing there's kind of a value to that because you are obligated to just be in that moment and oh man it's it's such a powerful museum it's very small but it is very very powerful there were some really great books in there that I plan to read um the handbook of revolutionary warfare um challenge of congo um some essential features of krumaism and there was a lovely lovely plaque that uh, Dr. Kruma's fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma, had donated. That was in there. Some things from his college days at Lincoln. You know, I'm all about the HBCUs. Um, it was it was just really, really moving. Just to see some of the world leaders that he interacted with. You know, the revolution... That freed Ghana was, what, in the late 50s? Like, what, 1957? Um, so a lot of this stuff is still tangible, you know? Like, these are people, some of these people are still with us. Some of these people we maybe only recently lost. Um, really, one of the the powerful things for me, because I have such an affinity for Che Guevara and his role in, in the guerrilla movements, and and his relationship with the Castro family and with Cuba um, was to see that there was a relationship that Dr. Kruma had, you know, with with people who were participants in in in, in the guerrilla. Um, I hate to use the phrase warfare. But, you know, in the guerrilla warfare and, and a relationship um, with with the Castro family. And it's, just, it's really just powerful um, if you're somebody who studies revolutionaries. It's, it's like, you know, it's this meeting of the minds. And you can only imagine, you know, what the conversations were like. You know, what the shooting the shit was like with those two, you know, with those two revolutionary brains and, and the other revolutionary brains that you know were in the room. Like, what kind of revolutionary brain trust conversations happened in those spaces? So I, it was just really, uh, it was really something, you know, if you find yourself in, in, in Accra, definitely that is not a thing to miss. That, that's not a place to miss. That's, that's not a moment to rob yourself of. You know, and as powerful as that was for me, it did not even scratch the surface to what going to Cape Coast, heavy on the air quotes, excuse me, heavy on the air quotes castle was going to feel like. That was overwhelming. I I wanted to do Elmina Castle with my mom, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, but it was a rough ride and, you know, we just, we weren't going to be able to handle that that day. 
Um, so the day that we went to Cape Coast, I'm just going to call it a dungeon because that's what it is. It's not a fucking castle. And it irks me that it's even advertised as a fucking castle. Um, and one of the things I really appreciated about our guide was that he was real particular, you know, to let it be known. Like this shit wasn't no, like this shit is not for your entertainment. This shit is for your education, you know. I'll get to it. When when we first arrived there, you get out and you're you're at the front and people are playing music and dancing and singing and chanting and you're all like you're bracing yourself for what you anticipate to come. But it's such a warm reception that it kind of throws you off kill. At least it, it threw me a little bit off kill because, um, you know, African music makes you want to dance. Like, I don't, I've yet to hear African music that has not made me want to move my feet, move my hips, you know, move my body. Um, it is absolutely unequivocally a love language. And I'm, halfway trying to mentally prepare for where I am and then other half of me is trying to also be present so the present side of me is really having this you know I kind of want to hit a two-step and then the other side of me is like save your energy because the wind is probably going to be knocked out of you girl and you asthmatic and that happened literally well, technically it's actually, but we're not going to go back and forth about connotations and denotations. Literally, the air was taken out of my lungs. Um, so we, we get in and we, we get, we get up with our tour guide and the first dungeon we enter is the dungeon where they keep the male slaves. It's dark. It's, it's, there really aren't enough words to describe it. The only light and air that's coming into this space is from three portholes. You know, if you've ever been on a cruise ship or you've seen a cruise ship, those circles, those windows that are circles on the side, portholes, those are portholes. That is all, that is all that was providing air and light to this large space that was filled with up to, I think he said 250 men at any given time where they lived and they slept and they pissed and they shitted and they ate and they cried and they sang and they prayed all on top of each other in this confined, dark, damp space and as he's explaining to us again educating us not here to entertain us he continues he continues to refer to us as my family which I found interesting and enjoyable um so as we're making our way 
into the next room of of the dungeon. Um, he's he's giving us more information about about the dungeon that we're in, and he's standing in a really particular spot. And he says to us, you know, look at the floor, and then look at look at where you're standing, and look at where I'm standing, and look at the difference. And um, he says, you you're standing on the original floor. I at the in the moment, I'm still just you know trying to wrap my mind around everything, and I don't know what the significance beyond the fact that I'm standing where many of our ancestors spent their last days. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not prepared for where he's about to take it. And he points down to where he's standing and it's a, a lighter shade than where we're standing. And he's like, where I'm standing is, where they dug and scraped to find the actual originally laid floor. Where you're standing is on top of a layer of human everything that has been, you know, that have been left behind. Feces and blood and urine and food. All of this stuff just accumulated over that time. It's not like they were cleaning it. It just accumulated, it hardened, and it solidified. And, you know, if you remember anything from, like, your junior high school science classes with the layers of sedentary rock, it kind of, it basically was, you know, equivalent to that. And that shit rocked my core. That shit rocked my core. It was bad enough to be standing in what was the final resting place for many of our ancestors, because everybody didn't get out. Everybody didn't go through the door of return. Many people died in those dungeons. Um, so that was already a lot to digest and, and absorb. But then to be told that you were literally standing on the blood, the sweat, the tears, the feces, the urine, like the day-to-day -day of that experience, it was very overwhelming. I found myself really, really overwhelmed. And in that exact moment, as we are about to transition, excuse me, to another room, there is a white woman coming into the room that we're in. And I'm not going to hold y'all or sugarcoat shit. I'm instantly pissed the fuck off. I'm mad as shit. And, um... The organizer of, of the tour that set this whole thing up, it's it, we couldn't have been more in sync if we tried because as sis is walking by me, she goes, really? Really? And I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one feeling away. Cool. The day moves on. We, um, we move on to the women's dungeon. Um, and, and now I'm already armed with I'm armed with things that I, I guess you naturally assume as you learn about slavery, but to be in the space and have it confirmed, it just makes it that much more real. So I'm now in the similar space, but for women. So these women, 
They ate in this space. They drank in this space. They urinated in this space. They had their menstrual cycle in this space. They were raped sometimes in this space. Sometimes the rapists were courteous enough to remove them from there and rape them elsewhere and not in front of everybody. But that wasn't always a courtesy granted. Um, they defecated in this space. And now we're standing on a layer of several lives and, and several stories and, and several lost identities. And this shit is just, I mean, I, I, man, this shit is taking a lot out of me. It's taken a lot out of me. I am, I'm feeling exhausted, even though I, I haven't physically exerted any energy, you know? Uh, mental exhaustion is a real thing. Emotional exhaustion is a real thing. And, and I was feeling extremely overwhelmed. I was feeling extremely exhausted. Um, but I was feeling extremely grateful that I was having the opportunity to learn and experience more of my lineage than what's in a whole textbook, you know? So it was, it was just, ugh, there was just so much going on at once um, while I was, while I was in that moment. And so as we proceeded through the rooms, we were in basically what was an altar room and people had come and, and brought like reefs to honor uh, the deceased and, and honor the the individuals who became enslaved. And as we are pivoting out of that room, there's a group coming in and there's more white people. <laughs> and I'm hella aggy. I'm big mad, like, fuck out of here, mo. Like, nah, not right now, Sue. Not right now, Karen. Fuck on out of here. So we come out and we're um, on basically the entry level. And that level is a mass grave. Like, we're literally standing on a mass grave. Period. The only outline graves are those of, I think, the general who ran that castle. And the one black dude who was like the preacher at that quote-unquote castle mind you he's preaching black man preaching right on top of the dungeon full of his brothers and sisters but you know once you once you capture somebody's mind from young it's very very easy to institutionalize them I mean we still see it today so you know that situation was what that situation was. Point being, this entire level was a mass grave. It was a mass grave. And so we're standing on this mass grave. Like we're just caucused on top of possibly my great, 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 great uncle or somebody or yours. We're just you know, on top of people. 
Like I grew up near a cemetery, you know, you grew up near a cemetery, you're taught to hold your breath, <laughs> you know, when you are passing the cemetery, you don't take the superstitions that we have, don't walk on people's graves, just things like that. And, and here we're caucused at a, you know, this mass grave is now a tourist stop for some and, and, and an educational stop for others. Um, so fast forward, we walk down to the original door of no return. Now that door has been sealed, but we are at the original door of no return and I, I'm a fairly good storyteller when I want to be, but I'm, I'm, I'm humble enough to tell you that nothing can really, it's very hard to articulate what that feels like to see it, to touch that wall that used to be an opening um, and to know that they only closed it because of the high tides that was basically causing them to lose, you know, their, their chattel basically, because, you know, they didn't consider us people. We were property and it was causing them to lose their chattels. So that's why they closed it up, but don't fret. Cause they built another door. And when we got to that, when we got to that door, um, we were able to walk through that door and, when you get to the other side of that door, that beach, I don't know if that beach is still a very active port, but it still looks like a very active port. Like there's like a million fucking little boats there. Um, and it just, it's, it makes it feel very relatable. Very, like I could see this place being treated as something just to move commerce, to move chattel. I could see that this place wasn't, you know, designed with humans and treating people humanely in mind. And then you turn around and you face the door return from the opposite side. And it now says the door of return. And you progress yourself back through it in, you know, what is obviously so ceremonial for you as an individual, um, as a way to, you know, reclaim your time as Auntie Maxine says, um, but to reclaim time for those in your, in your lineage that, that you know nothing about that you, you'll never know anything about for the last names on your family tree that, that you'll never know. It, it's a way to reclaim something back into your lineage and, and it felt good. And, and I got to have that experience with two people that mean so much to me. So that was really dope for me. That was really powerful for me. Um, I was really, I was really moved by that. Um, what I really, or, or rather another thing that stood out to me in sharing that moment with these two women is that one of them, like me, is um, African-American. And the other one, she is from the continent. So her story um, is not one of being a descendant of, of 
her story is not one of being an American descendant of slavery. I, I don't know her entire story, so I won't pretend to speak to it. I do know that she was born on the continent. So, and there our stories differ, you know, because when you're an American descendant of slaves in America, in the American school system, your history is taught to you to start at slavery. Um, and that, and that is not her truth. So it was, I was very interested in seeing, um, how she would receive the experience. And I just, I, it was just proof positive that some things truly are universal and, and some things are just really that moving that it doesn't have to be your story for it to really, really move you and touch you in a way that you do feel an ownership of it and you feel a protectiveness over it. So that was just really, that was really cool to experience with, you know, these women that I value so much um, to see, just to see everyone taking something from this experience. Fast forward through um, of the portions of the castle, we get the dungeon, excuse me. We get upstairs to the quarters of the fella that ran the spot, right? He's got this lavish bedroom all the way at the top. It's got this lovely cross breeze coming off the ocean, coming off the Atlantic Ocean. And he's got all these beautiful bay windows. And at this point, you know, the room is not decorated. It's an empty space, you know, viewing it now. They don't have it staged or anything. But the windows are ajar. You feel the breeze. You hear the ocean. And you'll remember I told you earlier that the sound of the ocean is is a place of peace for me. Excuse me. This was the first time in my adult life that I felt unsettled hearing the sound of the ocean. I didn't feel peace. I didn't feel calm. I felt unsettled. And then I felt pissed the fuck off that these motherfuckers like stole something else from me. Like now you stealing a piece of my, my current day joy. You know what I'm saying? Like that should irk to my damn spirit. I'm happy to report me and the sound of water are back on good terms, but hearing it from that space, it just, it did not sit well with my spirit and it didn't sit well with my soul and it bothered me. It, it troubled me so very much. It, it just, it was a lot. It, it was a lot. If you, you know, if again, if you find yourself in in Accra, and um, if you have the time, take the take the it's a long ride out to to Cape Coast, but but it's absolutely worth it. There really are not enough words to describe what it feels like to walk the paths that our ancestors walked. It, there are no words to describe what it feels like to inhale the air, you know, to be in that space. 
You really have to experience it for yourself. And at this point of the day, um, mind you, I was sick the day that we went. So we, we took the long ride out to Cocoon Park. And then from Cocoon, we took, you know, another hour out to the castle, quote unquote. And I had been sick the whole day. I didn't even do the bridges again. I just sat and waited for everybody. So I'm already not feeling well. This is overwhelming. I'm hella emotional. I'm going through the gambit of goddamn emotions. And when I think <laughs> that, you know what I'm saying, can't shit else happen? Our guide takes us to the punishment cell. Now, here's the shit that fucked me up. What part of this shit ain't punishment? Like, the slave dungeon ain't no fucking luck suite at, at the W. This ain't the fucking Ritz. This entire shit is a fucking punishment cell. But you motherfuckers got the unmitigated gall, the caucasity, to build a separate room for punishment. Because God forbid your ass try to fight back and save yourself. So we walk into this room. You have to lower your head to get into it because it's a very low entryway. You go through the first door. The second door has been removed and the third door has been removed. But you walk through this really brief walkway into the prison cell. The prison cell, unlike the dungeons, don't have any portholes. So there's no light. There's no air. It is pitch black. Now, when we come in there, the light is on. And, you know, he's telling us that this is where they keep uh, the prisoner, the, the slaves that tried to fight back, that tried to revolt. You know, this is where they kept them. They didn't feed them. They didn't give them anything. They left them in here until they died. Now, let me tell you, as soon as I walked in, as soon as I walked in and I got into the main room, my chest instantly got tight. I have bronchitis and I have asthma. Immediately, I was struggling to breathe. Now, this is with two doors removed and the third door open. So there's actually air coming in and out. And I'm still struggling to breathe in this very damp space. He asked us for permission to turn out the lights so that we can get as real an effect of what it was like as possible without the, the other doors being there. Because with the two doors there, there was literally no light because everything was blocked off. And some people left the room, but um, I stayed and my friends stayed. And he turned the light off and we had a moment of silence for the people who passed away um, in that room. And let me tell you something. My breath was literally sucked out of my body. Sucked out of my body. I was struggling to breathe. It was so dark. And this was so dark with a glimpse of light. I couldn't even imagine how dark it was. With the three doors. It was so damp. And to know. That they didn't receive. Any food. Any drink. 
They sat there and died slowly in their own feces, in their own urine, in their own blood, slowly suffocating. I, it's so hard for me to describe. You know, when we went to dinner afterwards and we were all talking about it, I was sharing with the group, like, you know, as someone who has a respiratory issue, as someone who has, I had a respiratory issue my entire life. The way I struggled to breathe on a good day, the thought that somebody who also may have had a respiratory issue had to endure that. Not only is it, it's a painful death, it's a painful death, period. And it, it's and it's cruel and inhumane. Um, but to be somebody who struggles to breathe on a good day and to have to be in that space where you can only gasp for air and know that you are dying slowly. Oh my God. I After that, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anymore. After that, I went to the music. I, I stood outside for a while. I, I needed to, you know, get my wits back about myself, get some composure. Um, before I went into the museum, the museum is really well curated. Um, so definitely do that. Everybody didn't take the opportunity to do that, but I would strongly suggest that, um, you do visit the museum, which is on the second level of the, um, quote unquote castle. They did a really phenomenal job curating it. Uh, you're also not allowed to take photographs in there, but it's well worth the time. There's a portion of the, um, there's a portion of the uh, museum where you're basically on a slave ship. You know, there they have um, the chains there, the neck chains, the the hand and foot chains, um, postings from slave auctions. Um, it's it's just it's really well curated. I'm really big on museums, so I mean, no surprise at this juncture. I suppose <laughs> I'm really really big on museums, and um, they did they just did a really good job with this one. I again encountered some of the lighter folks in there, and I was far from being in the mood, so I just tried to swiftly go about. <laughs> Enjoying the museum. So as we're about to leave and people are getting their photos. This was one of the things that really set me off. Um, and, you know, it may have been an, an overreaction. I don't really give a fuck, to be honest. But <laughs> um, this white girl asked this black girl to take her picture like at the overlooking the water and I just was like first of all bitch don't be asking us to do shit for you at no motherfucking slave dungeon get a fucking selfie stick bitch so that was my initial fucking reaction I did not pop off on anybody you know before <laughs> before you think that I snapped on this woman Th these were just my internal reactions to what I was seeing 
And then I was just like, why the fuck you even here? You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck you while you're here. And so, as as I was saying that, I, I did say that to multiple people. Like, I feel like, why are they even fucking here? You know what I'm saying? And certain people felt like, oh, well, you know, they're entitled to history also. And my thing was this, and I, I stand by this. If white people want to take the, the German approach to slavery or to acknowledging the history of slavery, excuse me, then I can fuck with it. So if you've ever been to Berlin, and if you haven't been, you should go. It's a beautiful city. Um, but if you've been to Berlin, then you know that the Germans, they they keep it 100, that they did some fucked up shit. They were fucked up for doing it. And, and they put all their fucked, they aired their own fucking dirty laundry as a reminder, one, not to be these kind of assholes again, to be fucking better every opportunity you get. Three, take ownership for the fact that you did some fucked up shit. That is not how white people go about addressing slavery. You know what I'm saying? And unless they're willing to take that kind of fucking approach, I don't want to see your motherfucking ass at no motherfucking slave dungeon, taking no motherfucking pictures, asking no black people to take no motherfucking pictures of you. So fuck you, fuck that, and I don't give a fuck who it offends. I stand by that shit. I fucking stand by it. So, that really fucking annoyed me. Um, that aside, it was really... I'm grateful I had that experience. Um, if ever I'm back in Accra with my mom, or just anywhere on the continent that, you know, still has a slave port that they educate on. I would definitely love to share that experience with my mom. It it was it was it was a lot. It was overwhelming. It was interesting. It was informative. It was something that I'm grateful I got to share with with two of the closest people in my life whom I love and respect and and to, you know, get to witness them um having this experience also. So it was, if nothing else encourages you to go to Ghana, and honestly, if you listened to part one and you're not encouraged, you tripping! <laughs> this experience, this ed- this firsthand um, education should really encourage you to, to go to Ghana or any port that is still an education zone and really, really have this experience. It makes you appreciate so much. And it keeps you mindful of how far we still haven't come. You know? We we still live in fear of walking out our doors in America if you're black. And... That brings me to another very interesting thing that I encountered a lot while I was in in, in Accra. Um, A lot of the men, I I didn't hear this from any women, but a lot of the men kept saying, oh, I wish I lived in America. 
or I would love to go to America. There's so much money to make. And I keep trying to explain to them. You don't know shit about America, bruh. That shit y'all watching on this basic ass cable, that ain't it, bruh. That ain't motherfucking it. That ain't that ain't the America I live in. That's not the America you're gonna live in. See, what they don't understand and what they didn't grasp and what I kept trying to explain to them was that you are coming from a country where you're the majority. You're the majority. One of the best parts about being there was that for once, I was dwelling as the majority. That's why we all go to the Caribbean all the time. We love it. It's, it's lovely to be in the goddamn majority. So they, you know, this is not a concept that they understood. This is not a concept that even crossed their mind because, you know, once once the majority of, of society is homogenous, then, you know, the other way to classify people is actual economic class. And so, um, you know, it's about money. It's, you know, there are these people with, greater wealth that live, you know, out in, in the estates. And then, and then you've got people that are struggling and, and begging on, you know, in the middle of the road. So the dichotomy of wealth is, is just as prevalent there as it is here in America. You can see it. Um, it's staunch. And that is really their only focus. And I'm like, listen, you bring your ass to America. It ain't just about your economics. It is about way more than that. Your black ass is... You're prone to be dead just for being fucking black. And every time I said that to one of them, it was like, huh? Huh? Yeah, life ain't fucking peaches and cream over here either. Every place got their fucking issues. And if you think that running from Ghana, hopping your ass over... To these United States is somehow going to make your life um, easier. Bruh. The grass is not always greener. That is a real thing. And I found myself having that conversation so many times with so many men. And I don't think it dawned on me until I started having these conversations that there are like whole populations of black people that really have no idea how real shit is for black Americans or black people in America, period. Like, they don't really got a grasp on this shit. And, you know, call it ignorance, naivete, whatever you want to call it. Um, but until you hear it, you don't realize how prevalent a train of thought that is. And I found that interesting and I just, you know, I tried to educate people every opportunity I got. Like, listen, America ain't all that either, bruh. I, I was explaining to one driver that nothing says a lack of progress like me having the same concerns as my grandmother had at my age. You know, my grandmother would worry whether or not her husband would make it home or if he'd be lynched. You know, we worry whether or not our boyfriends, our husbands, our brothers are going to make it home or if they're going to be shot in the street by cops. 
nothing says a lack of progress like having the same concerns, worries, stress, and strife as two generations before you. And it's just something that they they don't have a reason to think of it. And so it was something that just never crossed their mind. That being said, um, just to come full circle with the slave dungeon, you know, I as I mentioned on the IG post, I've had the experience many a times with many of my friends, um, West Indian, Latinas, Latinos, um, African, just my friends, black friends from all walks of life that are not American descendants of slaves. I have absolutely had, had instances growing up where motherfuckers just felt like they were better because, oh, I know where I come from. Do you? Um, I'm glad you do know, bitch. Like, I don't want you to not know. I'm pissed. I don't know. Like, I don't wish that shit on you. Congratulations, motherfucker. Like, what? I don't want you to empathize with that. Like, that's not no shit. It's not lit, bruh. It ain't lit. That ain't the shit with some bopping it. Fuck out of here. And that experience at the slave dungeon was just a reminder that even in even in the factual reality that we still got hella far to go because we ain't really moved the needle that fucking far, that we have still moved the needle matter fucking far. Like there's a population of other human beings that have gone out of their way to hold us down, to create institutions that reinforce that. They have literally done everything in their power to hold us down. And still we continue to fucking thrive. Still we continue to thrive. Now, like I said, I don't want anybody to empathize with not knowing their lineage, not knowing where they came from. But let me tell you something. You cannot make me feel bad for being a descendant of a fucking slave. Look where the fuck we've come in such a short amount of time. I come from a different kind of stock and I'm very fucking proud of that. We're resilient. We're resilient as fuck. It don't matter who try to knock us down. We always pick ourselves back up and push forward and go even further beyond. That's why they keep attacking us. They know our strength. The real shit is going to pop off when we collectively learn our strength. And even more so when we as black people stop doing the nitpicking shit where, oh, well, I know where I'm from. Do you? Or I'm this kind of black and I'm that kind of black, so I'm the better black. When we stop that dumb shit, we're going to be a force to be fucking reckoned with. I just pray I'm allowed to see the day. Anyway, I've talked y'all to death enough. <laughs> I appreciate y'all for sticking through this with me. I know it's longer than normal, but it really was an overwhelming experience that I wanted to share. So until next time, learn something about yourself, sis, and have a good one.